Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marsley. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm Sean Marsley. I am normally your host, but today we have a very special episode and one of our youth leaders, Nika, will be taking over the hosting. So take it away, Nika. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited for this podcast because we're going to be talking about Paralympic tandem cycling because Sean is a retired Paralympic athlete, and we're also joined by her pilot, Lisa. So excited to be here, finally talking to Sean. I keep meaning to talk to her. I know. I, I had her. to like invite you to the podcast so we could catch up. <laughs> I know. Isn't that terrible? I'm a terrible person. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> we're going to go down memory lane. I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, I'm really curious to know is how does tandem cycling work in the Paralympics? Because I've done kind of recreational tandem cycling, but I'm going to assume that it's much more different doing it at an, at an elite level. So, I mean, it starts off the same and actually it's kind of funny because <laughs> the first ride that Lisa and I did together, I showed up with my gel seat cover and like ready to go on a recreational <laughs> ride. And uh, she quickly told me that's not how this works. So uh, <laughs> I was friendly about it. I think you said people will laugh at you if you use that. <laughs> I was a terrible, I was much more of a terrible person back then. I'm less of a terrible person now. <laughs> I appreciate the brutal honesty. Lisa literally said, you're wearing way too many clothes. Take this jacket, wear this instead. You need different shoes. Your helmet is ridiculous. <laughs> no sugar coating here. No, exactly. Yes. So, um, there's road racing and then there's track racing. And, uh, I didn't actually know about the track at first. I thought, you know, I'd been on a tandem bike and I just thought, Oh, I'm going to ride on a tandem bike really fast. Um, so there's different events, um, at the Paralympics, we had a road race, which was 60 K and we had a time trial and I can't remember the distance. 20, 15 or 20, something like that. Yeah. So the time trial, you're spaced apart and it's really, you're racing the clock and you're trying to be the fastest, but you're not actually, you know, racing at the same time as everybody. You're kind of, you, you all go at, at your own time. And then the road race is more the strategic kind of everyone starts together and the best team wins. And then, uh, the velodrome or the track is like <laughs> literally like riding around the inside of a bowl. Um, and when that was without, described... <laughs> yeah, without, without brakes too. Don't forget that. <laughs> oh part. yes. So it's a different bike altogether. So we needed two bikes and it doesn't have brakes and it's a fixed gear. So it's just one speed, basically one, like you can't shift gears, slow down, speed up. You're just going on your own power And, uh, you're riding like on these banked corners around literally the inside of a bowl while 
competing against other people. So there's a sprint, which is a really crazy, you sort of play chicken with another team and then a bell rings and then you've got like 200 meters. Lisa could probably explain these things better than me, actually. Yeah, one um, lap. You do three laps and then on and you start at the same time. And then on the with one lap to go, they give you the bell, and then you whoever crosses the finish line first wins. But it's very much like you're not you're not really racing until the last 200 meters, really, because mm-hmm. everyone's kind of deciding who wants to be first and who wants to initiate their sprint. And it's it's very much super tactical. And then the other two was what? Was it a pursuit? 3,000 meters, which is a pursuit where essentially it's a timed event, but the other team starts on the other side of the track. And so you try to catch them, but you mm-hmm. might not, or they might catch you. And then another, we did a kilo too, right? Right. I think, yeah. And that's yeah. a t- fully timed event. So the was sprint was really scary for me. Like that's, that's like your, we saw crashes happen while waiting for our turn and yeah it's like it gets crazy those big bikes go down really hard too because they're full of large people and it's not just one bike crashing next to another bike it's like one huge bike with a lot of mass going down super hard Mm -hmm. we had never done it before either like we had never done it before yes (laughs) we're doing that we're doing the match we're doing what all right (laughs) give it a go olympics yeah (laughs) crazy totally crazy so when I started cycling and looking for a pilot to compete, it was, it was 2002 and the Paralympics that we went to was, were in 2004. So in two years, I basically learned everything and, you know, went to the, the most like, yeah, the top of the, the competition. So kind of crazy. And I feel like the track stuff was really like maybe the last I, I guess a year. Did we do track for a year? We probably did track. For I don't a year. even remember how many times we got on the track. We oh. did the, in Bromont. We were there quite a lot. Right. Well, I had Claire too. So Claire and oh, I went yeah. to the track yeah. quite a bit. Yes. I didn't ride that track that much. Right. So I had, but two, I had done. two pilots. Uh, I kind of had a backup pilot that came to the Paralympics as well and, and helped me with training too, leading up to but Lisa's right. my favorite. I'm pretty sure the other pilot doesn't listen to the podcast. I will not send her the link. <laughs> I don't think she would be surprised by that. You're the, you're the first, you're my first cycling love. Come on. That's <laughs> true. It's true. The first, the first love is the most important, right? <laughs> you never forget your first. Oh my gosh. Where are we going? Okay. Nika, reel us in, please. <laughs> I was going to say, so this is interesting because I totally thought that tandem cycling was like athletics or swimming where it was just like 200, 400. Oh, no. Yeah. No, the races are long. Um, Actually at nationals. So in order to qualify to go to an international competition, you have to go to nationals. But we were the only female team in Canada at the time. So we there was just one event one road race and it was 80 kilometers and it was so, by ourselves yeah on a men. crappy on a really terrible bicycle too it was a really heavy piece of crap bike yes and a it, brutal hill that we had to do multiple times oh it my was god awful yeah we finished though we finished yeah we did and we got a medal because we were the only <laughs> we won <laughs> national champions that, that's all hey. you need to just say we won a medal you don't need to give the the rest of the details yeah yeah <laughs> i have yeah. i have definitely medaled in in uh i have i have i have several bronze medals in my career in fields of three <laughs> <laughs> but i medaled that's right <laughs> 
but actually like they didn't want to send us anywhere i don't you know really and we ended up going to sean had to push really really hard because there was this really cool event called the international blind sports association games Mm -hmm. and in montreal and she's like well this is our only opportunity to race against other people like we're the only women's team you have to send us how do you even know if we were any good yeah just because we came first out of one or last out of one yeah and so finally they sent us and we got third there and they're like oh well that was more than three that was a truly earned medal (laughs) yeah and so then they're like oh well i guess you guys are okay i guess you can go to the paralympics (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah how did you two meet each other in the first place and start cycling together well i um was at the bc summer games way back in 1998 and i saw that tandem cycling was a thing because they had tandem cycling at those games so it got into my mind and then later on i was in university doing a degree in biochemistry and i wanted to go to medical school and i thought how, what kind of volunteer job can I do that will be fun and interesting and I can put on my resume? So I'm like, hey, I could tandem cycle. That sounds fun. I'll find some nice blind person who wants to go for rides and um, we will go biking together and that will be great. And then, and then I, it was crazy. I, I, I think that Sean is the most trusting person in the world. I picked her up from the SkyTrain. I somehow picked up this bike from somewhere and I picked her up from the SkyTrain and we went for a bike ride and we'd never met at all. And and I'm like, oh, hi, I'm Lisa. And she's like, oh yeah, hi, I'm Sean. I'm like, okay, let's hop on. And like, <laughs> you don't know me. You don't know if I'm trustworthy or if I know how to ride in traffic or like anything. And we went for a bike ride and yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. And then somehow, I don't know, how do we get into racing, Sean? Um, well, I think I already knew I wanted to get into racing. I remember yeah. meeting you at BC Blind Sports. We had a Did meeting we... at the office. First. I don't remember that. that no? Yeah. <laughs> I remember I just did. like finding you on, on that. That's funny. And I then, train. I think you picked me up and we went to your house for our first ride. I think so. Yeah, think because right. Langley was a nice, safe place with, you know, country roads and things like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, I had done this bike race just for well kind of for fun it was a bc summer games event a few a month before or something and i won and i was paired up with this guy who i'd never met before and we did this race and 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 so because i had already been a competitive swimmer and i hadn't really achieved my dream of going to the paralympics bc blind sports susan at blind sports was like well do you want to are you going to try for cycling now? And I kind of thought about it and I was like, yeah, I could try. So then I needed a female pilot in order to compete. So I think I went into it planning to compete. I didn't realize you were just wanting some recreational Sunday rides with a nice blind lady. (laughs) I'll just just be a benevolent friend to blind people. (laughs) And maybe you could read to me once in a while. (laughs) Which I ended up doing, didn't I now, Sean? Well, there's long, long flights and, you know, big trips. (laughs) Like a recreational volunteer role turned into traveling to Greece. Greece. Yeah. Well, we went to Prague. That was our first international trip. So that was was the first one. That was big. That was like nobody could, you know, we were staying somewhere where most people weren't speaking English. And it was like. I, yeah, it was, that was, that was a, a rude awakening, I think for both of us, like, okay, yeah. I need a lot oh, like more. We, we actually, 
I actually have to think about someone other than myself for once in my life. <laughs> I'm not used to doing this at all. This is a total side note, but did you have any opportunities to actually explore the city you were in? Just because Prague is such a beautiful city. I went a couple of years ago and it's so Okay. Amazing. Let me tell you about that because that was my that was the first hard life lesson. So I went there thinking we would have time for sightseeing and I would buy gifts for all my family and <laughs> And we spent all of our time where our, our hotel was, was about an hour. It was more than an hour drive to where the track uh. was. And so we were busing in to do this event, like for multiple days in a row and back again. So by the time we got back, we just would go out for dinner and that was it. And then anyway, basically we had two hours, one day of going into Prague and seeing the sites, so to speak. And we just had time to kind of wander through the town and, and Lisa described things. Well, the, to pe me. the peasant people doing peasant things on the side. Yes. <laughs> the, the interesting graffiti art on the walls. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so, and, and she had to remind me like, we're here to do a job. We're not here on vacation because <laughs> I, I just thought I'd be able to do both somehow. And I, I didn't realize how all consuming, like, this is not just like a vacation to Prague. This is, we're here. It's definitely not. Yeah. I did it. I did a trip to Paris, to France. Like we stayed like an hour outside of Paris on a trip with the national team at one point later in my career. And we went, we got to go into Paris on one day and I, and um, it was Sunday. So everything was closed. And we like oh. walked along the Champs-Élysées for like half an hour and then we went back home again. Oh. It's like, oh, that's all of my Paris experience. I got to drive the 13-person van down the Champs-Élysées myself. Though. That's but cool. I, was, oh, that's yeah, I only hit one other car. <laughs> only one. She's better on a bike than she is in a car, I think. <laughs> it's true, it's true. <laughs> but even in Athens, I mean, we were there for a big, long time. And I feel like we went to the Acropolis one day. We went into town a couple times, but most of the time you're in the Athletes Village. And and we have so many events that we, I think we competed the day after opening ceremonies and we competed on the very last day. So, you know, there's this whole thing of rest your legs. You can't be walking around. You're going to tire yourself out. You're here to compete. And when you've trained for you know, as hard and as long as you have when you get to the Paralympics, usually, um, you don't want to blow it by sightseeing and tiring yourself out. So, well, yeah, you and just, you guys just gave me a reality check in case my swimming ever goes anywhere. <laughs> it's not a vacation. Definitely. The key, the key is if the if the sports organization who's paying for your ticket will extend your ticket, like mm -hmm. we got to we got to stay kind of as long as you wanted. So um, my now husband met me at the end of the Paralympics and we went and traveled afterwards for like a couple of weeks and then we went home. So, yeah. And know. I did, I went on to Scotland and England and visited friends at the end and, and yeah, so you can, you do have that opportunity for sure. And so it gives certainly you, a different kind of sightseeing. That's for sure. It gives you an idea, idea of the places you want to go back to on a vacation someday and I, I think sometimes it gives you like a better more sense of like what a actual real place is like like we went to Teplitza like it's like this you know town in the Czech Republic and it's like this is what it's actually like in the real Czech Republic rather than like the old town of of Prague and like mm -hmm. so true. you can see what they really eat in the real restaurants not just like the touristy areas right so so that's interesting yeah yeah 
And before doing all of the training and the traveling, is there any specific certification or training that you need to be a pilot? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> just like, <laughs> not at all. Like, can you bike? <laughs> yes. Okay. I think there may have been a criminal record check or something. I, I Maybe. <laughs> yes. I don't know. There, I don't I remember any so. of it. There was must have been something. There must have been some paperwork that I filled out at some point. Yes, but you had it was, to be. A, you were a volunteer with BC Blind Sports. You had to be a, a supporting member of the organization. Um, there would have been a membership form and five dollar fee. And uh, I guess I think I mean you know there's a difference between good pilots and less good pilots. I think that you do need to be really comfortable on a bike because. It is sort of like, well, you could say more than I could, Lisa, but people describe it as the difference between driving a car and driving a bus. So just because you're good at driving a car doesn't mean you can drive a bus. Yeah. And I think I had like I was well known enough in the cycling community at the time that they knew that I was a legitimate cyclist who knows how to ride a bike mm -hmm. and decently strong. And so I, I must have had a conversation with somebody that was a really long time ago. So I don't really rem much remember, but I'd never, ever been on a tandem before. Mm -hmm. There was no test. No, there was nobody. There was nobody supervising me on that first ride. It was just like you go off. And I don't even know if I had a cell phone. I must have had a cell phone. Maybe not. 2002. I don't know. We got our Olympic phones yeah. in 2003, I think. But <laughs> the Olympics gave you phones. Um, it was this bell program. I had that plan for so long. I think I might still have it somewhere. I kept it. It's, uh, oh yeah, yeah those Olympic it, phones, but I also, the plan, I kept amazing. the plan for a really long time. Cause then you get the like alumni plan. Yep. And then you can take that for like three years where you pay like almost nothing. Was, yes. Yes. Bell was a thank great you, Bell. Bell mobility. Yes. We appreciate you. <laughs> yes. We love Bell in my house too. Nice. <laughs> Um, so being able to get to the Paralympics, what was kind of your training schedule like, or what's kind of the week in a life week in the life of a Paralympic athlete and her pilot? Um, so we probably were able to ride together like twice a week, maybe. And the rest of the time, Lisa was doing her own training and I was doing my own training because it's just not really, uh, you know, realistic to think that we could come together. So I was working full time. I think Lisa, were you a student? Sometimes oh, a student, sometimes I a summer student. I graduated that year. I had okay. just graduated. I don't, I think that was the first summer that I didn't have a job. Okay. Other than that, I was always a full-time student or working at like a co-op or something like that, mm -hmm. like on a co-op placement. Yeah. So I had a bike in my apartment where with hooked up to this trainer thing. So the back wheel kind of clips in and you're riding a regular bike and doing workouts. And I had this video, like literally VHS video of coach, somebody or other who it was like a 40 minute workout, or I would just put music on and ride for as long as I could, or listen to an audiobook Cause it was, it's all kind of about getting as many miles in as you can. Um, and then some weight training and, but yeah, training every day, at least six days a week, sometimes multiple times a day and really long rides on the weekends, like mm -hmm. three or four hour rides. I remember and that one we did in the snow, like it snowed. Yes. Yes. That's my, my claim to fame. I'm like, yeah, I rode in the snow one time. Yeah. I well, think I got Achilles tendonitis from that. 
Oh yes. Oh yeah. Rain definitely. We the snow. Rain. The snow kind of happened while we were out for a ride. It was a we mistake. Did. It was an accident. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't normally snow. ride in the snow. But... No sleet. So it was more like sleet. It was the worst weather ever. So cold. Yes. So if you two uh, were only able to ride um, two days a week, then what what do you kind of do for training on other days, and how long would those uh, training sessions be? Well, that would be like my little coach video 40 minutes or probably it was hard to go longer than much more than an hour on a trainer bike like on like a stationary bike do you Um, still have that bike sean that mm, white and red one no the cannondale it's so cool i have a friend who's looking for a cannondale that exact like make oh really (laughs) yeah i think i broke it i broke the derailleur it came apart and i tried to fix it myself and then i broke it and i don't know anyway yeah i don't know too bad (laughs) yeah i was doing i don't really really remember very much of what my training was looking like by the time the summertime rolls around it's a lot of racing um for able-bodied cyclists um doing there's like midweek races we did a lot of like group rides we did the vets Mm -hmm. ride yeah um so kind of group rides with the local cycling community which are really hard um and the tuesday nighter race at ubc yeah Yeah, we did that yeah actually you know we probably rode more than twice a week now that i think about it because that's in the summer at least but but yeah when lisa was doing her races then she would be busy so i would be you know having to kind of do my own thing um but we rode all year so yeah and i was living in victoria too for for school so i would come over on not all the weekends but some of the weekends i don't really i don't really have a lot of recollection of what my training actually was like i i don't have any i don't keep any of my training journals or anything like that and certainly nowadays the training is a lot more structured in that there's way more intervals and the trainers are a lot more like the trainers are so much more sophisticated now you can program in your exact watts that you need to ride at and then it'll just do it for you and you just kind of have to pedal and it just changes for you on mm-hmm. your the, the thing you've programmed in. it's really actually quite good um the trainer is, is yeah it's, it's way more pleasurable to ride a trainer than it was before because you'd have to kind of force yourself to go hard for a certain amount of time and right if you didn't really have the if you yeah. weren't really feeling it that day, it's really hard to get, and you don't know if you're going hard enough. Like, am I doing the hard, hard enough for two minutes? Like what's my, yes. what's my, what am I supposed to be doing? Like going by heart rate or it's hard to know. So I did have a talking heart rate monitor. And, and so I could, I could have it go off every 30 seconds or every, I think minute and two minute and five minutes or something. So I would kind of try to do intervals with that, but yeah, when no one's watching, <laughs> and you can it's hard you got to be really disciplined uh we would sometimes do hill repeats on the tandem which was probably the most hellish thing ever um there's a hill spanish banks hill near ubc that was like quite a crazy climb but super fun to come down and we would do that like six times in a row so sometimes the training was really specific and other times it was just like out for a really long ride I'm literally just getting out of breath thinking of when you said three to four hour rides. <laughs> That's how we got to know each other so well. Yeah, you spend a lot of time. Like, Yeah, t- well, that was my next question is how did you kind of strengthen your trust and partnership um, during and even outside of training? Did you ever like hang out outside of practice or like go shopping or to a restaurant together? We went to Sushi Garden, but was that afterwards? What was that place? 
We went uh, to a sushi place another time when there was a rat, like a rat <laughs> trap in the, in the bathroom. And I'm like, oh, this is a great place. <laughs> I must have suggested it. I didn't know there were rats. <laughs> a good you pilot know, um, tells people. <laughs> I, we did um, after, was it after Prague when, you know, I was a really young person who had never really had to do anything for myself ever in my life. Like I was pretty sheltered and coddled as a youngster. I mean, my parents gave me all the things I wanted. and I didn't really have ever to do anything. So um, when, when it came time to like being a guide for someone, it, it came as a really big, it came as a really big shock to me because I never ever had to think about what someone else's needs might be. And Sean also was an, a very violently independent person and, and struggled to ask for things that she needed. And so it was a real strain because I wouldn't think to ask and she thought I should just know and ask because that's what nice people do. And so, um, which is probably true, but I was like, I don't know, like, like but also, oh, I'm going to the bathroom. Do you want to come to the bathroom? Like, cause she's doesn't, mm -hmm. now we're in this unfamiliar location anyway. So I think that was, that was, there was some strain there. And so we ended up seeing, we talked to a sports psychologist, mm -hmm. which was, was quite helpful. Yes. Um, I don't know if I ever really got, I was, I, I don't think I, I was ever the pilot that I really should have been as far as like a good support person. Oh, I think you were, <laughs> I think it was, I mean, the other thing is, yeah, at home, like Lisa would show up at my house, we would go for a ride and then we would come back to my house and maybe she would, you know, we'd like, we'd have something to eat or whatever and she'd leave. And so I was in my own environment. I didn't need any extra help beyond being on the bike. And then we go to Prague where it's like buffet breakfast, lunch and dinner. And I can't read the menus and I can't see what there is anywhere. And I don't know where the bathroom is and I can't speak the language and every need that I had, I kind of needed her to help with. So uh, yeah, she, it was unexpected. But after we worked with the sports psych person, I feel like you you blossomed into the best pilot. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it was also me learning to ask for help, which is still something I struggle with sometimes. So I think, but that's that power dynamic of like, yeah, I, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it hard. must it's feel tricky. so small. Right. And it's, I can't imagine like, well, we're here like, at this competition for disabled people and I am feeling incredibly disabled in this partnership. It, mm -hmm. It's a weird it's hard. It's really hard. Cause you kind of think, well, we're surrounded by people with disabilities. Like, of course you're going to interpret or, or, you know, guess what my needs are, but why would yeah. you like, and really? also I think like even just the group dynamic of the pilots as being like the legitimate cyclists who know the, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it, there was a bit of some alpha personalities in the, with amongst the pilots too. And, and I think that that, that was yeah. kind of like it was kind of a little bit like school in that way it's like um, they are the real cyclists they're the real racers they are the ones making all the decisions on the front of the bike about about the strategy of the race and when to attack and all the things and the person who's blind is on the back just kind of going along which I am independent and I didn't really like just going along it was you know I kind of wanted to be more involved but you can't like Lisa can't be on the front of the bike and tell me a whole big story about the race while we're in it because <laughs> I'm trying, I'm like trying not to vomit from going so 
but so I I think I now in my life like reflecting back on that experience I have a lot more empathy for what Sean was going through but at the time I was so young and naive and I had never you know I had never really interacted with anyone outside of my like socioeconomic class or race or anything like I was this kid from the valley and I didn't ever really think about challenges that other people might have we were able to get through that because we got along really well we already had a pretty solid friendship in Mm -hmm. Sean's home environment where she was we were equals essentially Mm -hmm. you know like as far as for the most part like you know we I didn't really feel like there was a much of a power dynamic difference when we were hanging out together except that you knew everything about cycling and I knew nothing like, but I trusted Lisa immediately on the bike. Like she just had, I could tell she knew what she was doing. I felt her confidence and she did literally teach me everything. Like we had to work together to figure out how to climb a hill standing both of us at the same time. And she taught me about shoes that clip into the pedals and (laughs) And I I only dumped her once. (laughs) Yes. But you told me it would happen. You got to twist your foot or you're going to fall over. And I like, yeah, I got it. I got it. And then I didn't do it. So yeah. The only, the real power dynamic was on the Scrabble board where Sean dominates. Oh, still do. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Uh, You faced Sean's wrath in a Scrabble game. That was real brave of me, I think. <laughs> it was close. I think I kept it close for a while. <laughs> I don't... I'm a little bit competitive. <laughs> I don't remember. I'm sure I won, though. <laughs> Sean, Sean's not competitive at all. No. <laughs> uh, it's okay. So I was also wondering, because you mentioned that the way you qualify for an international competition is through nationals and that you were the only... Mm-hmm. Um, I guess tandem cycling team in Canada so how did that work in terms of qualifying for Paralympics like did you contact um, a person and say oh like can you hold a time trial for us or can you hold a qualification kind of competition for us or how like what were the requirements you had to meet so you actually had to finish top half in the world to qualify, which is why I fought so hard for us to go to this world championships the year before, because they weren't going to send us because our performance at nationals was underwhelming, but it was re- really hard to compare us because there was nobody to compare us to except the men. And that's not really a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. So we, we appealed and we got to go to worlds and because we won a bronze, uh, we came third out of eight. That meant we had quali- we had we'd we'd hit the target. We'd been top half in the world. And then it was Canada that had to decide to send us to keep, you know, to invite us to the team because Canada only gets so many spots. And that's why if they were going to bring us, we had to do the track as well. They weren't going to bring a team that was only going to do the road racing. Um, but it was totally in our favor that we were the only female team because there were five men's teams or three. I can't remember. There there were five at one point, maybe only three came to Athens, but like, if you have multiple of the same, you can only get one gold medal. Right. So that's kind of how they look at it. Like it's your chances of meddling is, is what Canada looks like. So anyway, there's, there's a whole system. And I had nothing to do with this. I just, Sean, Sean took the entire 
lead on yeah. this. And she tried to replace me, but I won. <laughs> <laughs> it was only because you're in Victoria. I know. <laughs> I wasn't trying to replace you. It just needed someone else to train with. But yeah. <laughs> we had to do it. We had to do like a, a showdown. Really? Decide who was going to be the pilot. Oh, wow. I don't even remember that. I think I've and blocked I it out. I mean, I, I did. The politics. I did yeah. have um, multiple people that I rode with too, as part of my training, like just random people that weren't necessarily racers or whatever. So just, especially in the beginning, just to kind of get the miles under my belt and the experience and stuff. So I wondered actually, did you notice the difference between a stronger pilot or a slower, like, did you have to work harder for, with slower pilots or were you working kind of the same all the time, no matter what? Mm, no, it was, it was noticeable. And, and also like how well we would work together, you know, like, like the spinning, like you have to be in sync with your, mm. with your pilot as well. So it's not just about who's the strongest, but it's kind of like, how is the communication working and how, how well are we working together? So climbing, for example, even though I might be with some guy who's really strong, if he doesn't know how to climb on a tandem with another person on the bike, then we're not going to get up that hill any better or faster. Mm. So essentially kind of for actually qualifying, you have to kind of jump through two different hurdles. First, qualifying on an international level, then within your country. Well, you have to sort of within your country be chosen to go to that international event in the first place. So normally it would be based on your performance at nationals, but since, so if you win nationals, you normally automatically get to go. And we should have just automatically gotten to go because we weren't, but we weren't racing anybody And the national coach at the time. Didn't think we looked ready to go to a world championships, but because they were in Canada and it wasn't going to be super expensive to send us, they let us go in the end, which is if that hadn't happened, we would never have made no, it to the Paralympics. No, it would have been pretty much it. Yeah. But I also think like, even if we, so we qualified the spot for Canada for the Paralympics, but if, if another team rolled around, another mm. Nash, another female team showed up, because we were worried there was going to be another, they were going to put together a super team right. that would, that would take our spot because we qualified the spot, but the spot was still kind of up for grabs, I think, between us or another team that happened to be better than us, but they just never materialized. Yeah. And Lisa was the winning pilot. I, I did. I did end up being the racing <laughs> pilot, although Claire did come yep. to the Paralympics. She got to be the alternate because in case I fell off my bike and smashed my head, which actually like did you happen. Did. <laughs> <laughs> bringing the laundry home like a good pilot. <laughs> I know. So I was doing my job bringing, and, I, and the laundry I was riding. Claire brought her own bike, like a single bike, and I was riding her bike. And I was bringing the laundry home on my bike and the bike, the laundry bag, um, like flipped into the front wheel and got caught in the front spokes. And I flipped over the bike and the, and the bike landed on my head and, and the chain ring gashed me in the back of the head. Oh. And then this woman came, it was, it was actually really funny because it was a woman and she spoke French. So, and I happened to also speak French, which helped. And, and she was like, do you need me to help you get to the medical area? And I said, oh, yes, okay. And then she's like, but actually, I'm also blind. And so you also need to guide me <laughs> as I'm helping you get to the medical area. <laughs> I'm like, all right, you know where you're going, but like, you also need me just to point out like obstacles and stuff on the way. So with my head, in, my potential with my head, head injury. injury. <laughs> 
And anyway, yeah, it, didn't, it ended up being totally fine. I just knocked the window to myself a little bit and I didn't end up concussing myself and it was fine. But I'm sure that Claire was like, oh, maybe I get to race. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Did you and Claire actually um, get to stay in the athletes village or is there another separate area that's for the pilots and like the tappers for swimming and the different support staff? We were in the athletes village and actually interestingly, tandem cycling is the only sport, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, that, that the helper athletes also win a medal if you medal because we're helping to propel the, the bike. Mm -hmm. Whereas like guide runners don't help you go faster. Mm -hmm. They just help you. They just make sure you stay on the track. They just have to be fast enough. And I and same don't with skiers. And then, yeah. And I don't even know, like we interviewed, um, a judo athlete and I don't think her, I don't think her guide got to stay in the, in the village. I can't remember oh, now, really? but there's different rules for different sports and, but yeah, because I needed, I needed the guiding on and off the bike. I needed the guiding through, you know, the food buildings and through the village and all all the places onto so, the bus and yeah getting the bike and yes let me tell you it sure is fun going through an airport with two tandem bikes <laughs> oh, and guiding goodness. somebody and with the luggage good times <laughs> we missed a flight one time that was very uh very entertaining <laughs> we, got, we got to stay at the hilton though we did i did have oh. to pull the blind card on that occasion i'm like my blind athlete friend with me <laughs> where, where will we put our bikes well we don't normally but she's blind and we have our two blind tandem bicycles I'm like oh well okay <laughs> what am I supposed to do with all this stuff <laughs> yes it was funny the guiding would be sort of like Lisa would be at the front with a box on each side of her and then I would kind of stand at the back of the tandem boxes with my hands on either side of the like sort of following along but like two big huge bike boxes and a blind person through the air yeah it was crazy yeah they were a pain in the butt to pack up and stuff too yes that was one that was one thing I got to do that was full on your job <laughs> you must have been an interesting sight to look at yes yeah. we must who are these been. people what are they doing? <laughs> um so I want to know more about the actual kind of what it was like at the Paralympics the atmosphere and just what it was like during your competitions the opening ceremonies was cool that was really yeah. fun yeah. I thought oh, that was like one of the highlights you, uh did you walk in the opening ceremonies yep yeah we did we totally did and was I was thinking about that just with the Olympics that just happened now and you know, like opening ceremonies with no people in the stands, how weird that would be because the energy was just like crazy. Like you, you get in, it's a lot of waiting, 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 waiting for your, for the big parade of athletes in. But then when you finally get in there and you hear all the crowd, it's super cool. That was, yeah, it was a, that great. was a highlight. That was an awesome moment. We did do the closing. Did we go to the closing ceremonies? I don't remember. <sighs> Yes, I think, I think so. Everybody was trading clothes, clothing. Right. Yes. It was a weird, it wasn't the same. I didn't feel the same thing at the closing ceremonies. It kind of felt like everyone was just done and yeah, like, woohoo, it's a party. We're done. Here's my clothes. <laughs> Give me yours. <laughs> trading the swag. I feel like I should clarify that. <laughs> yeah. The like team issue clothing, like this. I also thought the able-bodied athletes that year got a nice, nicer suits, but you know. yeah. yeah, I don't know about the, the details of the swag. 
we got like a big bag full of stuff because we were supposed to wear only Canada stuff while we were there. Um, so there was everything. There was shorts and t-shirts and dressier stuff and pants and jackets and even these horrible shoes, these kind of like they were great shoes. I love those shoes. <laughs> really? <laughs> These red slip-on sandaly things. I don't, I didn't. Weren't they like red? Weren't there red lace-up ones? I feel like no, cool they were lace-up No, ones. no, no laces. No, because okay. remember we painted, the whole team decided to paint our toenails red and white for opening oh, ceremonies. Oh yeah, those things. They're like shower shoes. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then, and then it just wasn't quite as fashionable as the stuff that the able-bodied athletes got yeah um I do remember there was some some I feel like they're designed to help people who have different abilities like that with like who might struggle to like use various types of ways to Mm -hmm. do up the like less snappy things or fiddly things or there was a sweatshirt that I think it was really wide and kind of shorter and I think for thinking of people in a wheelchair for example yeah, or like um, the, the, the I remember those pants, the sweat, the track pants were like big red kind of clown pants with a big white stripe down the side. They were not, they were very loose fitting. Oh, I think I still have those. I kept it. I kept the jacket. The jacket was, the track jacket was nice. Yeah. And there's like three t-shirts and a, and a, and a visor and like some tank top and like yeah. a te- technical fabric t-shirt and. And then we got racing, actual cycling stuff to wear as well. So. Yeah, and it was special Olympic stuff, like the the stuff, the kits. They call it kits. That stuff, biking clothing is called a kit. I'm not sure why. Anyway, the those ones were specific to the Olympics. So if I wear that, which I still have it, actually the skin suit, I think mm. I sometimes wear it on like retro day at the Tuesday nighters. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, they have those. They, they, you know that that's an Olympic one. That's the Olympic suit. Like they didn't use it for anything else except the Olympics. So. Mm-hmm. And the socks too. We got special socks. Oh, yeah. Wow, I guess your suitcase was way more full than when you got there. I still um, use that suitcase. It was a great suitcase. Uh, yeah, it was. I think I still was, have it too. It kind of is disintegrating a little bit. But yeah, it was. they, they gave it to us before we leave. So that is your suitcase and that is your clothing. Oh, Okay, you got it before you Yeah, went. I think so, right? Well, we we flew from Montreal, so we did training camp before we went to Athens, so we would have had our own stuff as well. But then when when you're at the Paralympics, you're only wearing that stuff because we also traveled afterwards, right? And we weren't walking around only in Canada gear. I think I sent my stuff home somehow. Yeah. I don't remember how I did that. Yeah. Well, all those you, details get lost. Were you roommates? For the Paralympics, yes, yes, we, we were, were pretty much always roommates when we traveled. I, we were always, I think. Yeah, yeah. And my friend Sandra and Janine made like this, gave like this care package with all these like inspirational quotes we put up on the wall and stuff. It was very nice. I love that morale boosting. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was great. Yeah. How did you actually feel during the competition? During like doing the actual events? Um. Well, I was definitely nervous on the track and our performance wasn't great. We were kind of like the back end of, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't like gunning for a medal or anything. Our pursuit yeah. was pretty good though. We did a personal best in the pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. By, by quite a lot. I think like we had a, I, I don't, we definitely weren't last. 
we were yes. kind of middle we were in the second third no well kind of like i feel like we got like seventh or something didn't we and then yeah i think so and then out of like 12 or something like that right and then six we were in there six out of 12 on the road and that that's the one that i just i wanted to finish top half and that's the one event that we finished top half so so that was good but yeah it was fun it was i don't know it was i don't remember like it i remember being being like quite nervous in the first race we did and i remember the coach said you're trying more than you're actually exerting yourself like you're focusing on trying but you're not thinking about how you're pedaling and your actual effort like you're Mm. you're like too worked up in the fact that you need to go as hard as you can instead of actually properly doing doing it right so I really thought about that I think in the pursuit where I really wanted to focus on like am I pedaling smoothly am I hitting my schedule are we like yeah are we going our hardest in in the true sense of the word rather than just like kind of panicky, panicky hard, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I, yeah, I think we did it. I was happy with our pursuit. Yeah, it was good. The pursuit Nika is sort of the, it reminds me of swimming in that you get splits, like you're going around the track so many times and you, you kind of, I think they, the coach would, well, in practice, at least you'd be calling out where we were at. So you're trying to stay at the same pace to be consistent, right? Yeah. And you have a schedule that you want to hit because you know what your goal time is. Mm -hmm. um so you put things into swimming terms then I understand (laughs) yeah yeah I think that's pretty good though for the track getting seventh especially since that kind of wasn't what you were training on like from the very beginning Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was and like that came later in and even like being in the first half like top half of basically like a group of elite athletes like in a sport Mm-hmm. That's just really cool to me. Yeah, and uh, some of the teams that were really gunning for it, like I think the Aussies and I don't remember who else, but the, the in the U.S., like they were, they were legit full time athletes. Mm-hmm. Like they were not people who had full time jobs. And right, yes, uh, yeah, that's they had the their. How do you get to the Paralympics and have a full time job? Because so many like athletes I know are like that's their job so like I don't know that just seems very impressive to me well I lived really close to my work um and 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 I was single (laughs) so that helps a lot (laughs) I think that's just that was my focus right it was like after work was was training eat a bowl of cereal go to bed like that was and I'm not even joking because I don't like cooking so (laughs) sometimes I'd make a salad but (laughs) yeah and my whole life was cycling and university but all of my roommates in university were also cyclists all of our socializing was riding we would you know my now spouse and I would go for a ride and then we we would go back to his place get showered go back to school study the rest of the day after our three-hour ride like it was just there was just biking and studying and the occasional raging party which usually were was like the next day we had to go for another ride. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but it wasn't there was it was very focused. Mm-hmm. And I think I would say like a lot of professional athletes or a lot of if you look at athletes, especially amateur athletes, there's a lot of people that have jobs. Like that is 
it doesn't pay very well until you are really, even if you're at the top of the sport, a lot of those like judo, like they don't make any money to do judo. I don't, is there a professional judo league? I don't think so. Like they do their training after their work for the most part. You just have to be really good at time management. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sacrifice a lot of stuff. Like you can't go to too many crazy wild parties. Yeah. And actually it's funny because like, you know, I talked to people who weren't cyclists, um, you know, friends in, in my life now and they're like, oh yeah, you know, when I was in university, when I did this trekking trip or I did this other thing, or like I was part of this choir or I like they had all these other things that were in their life and they're like oh wow you know like oh I went on my ski trips and I did this and that and like like oh I didn't do anything like that at all <laughs> just biked and studied yeah <laughs> I mean you were pre-med so that's pretty difficult it was very hard it was this do anybody out there who wants to go to medical school do not do a degree in biochemistry bad idea <laughs> don't do it unless you want to work in a lab <laughs> hard this is a very important question but how was the food at the paralympics because that is how you judge an event by is their food Mm, it was kind of like a food court but instead of like taco bell and (laughs) i don't know all the all the typical things that you would find in a mall it was all different ethnicities of food which is kind of cool. So, you know, you could have your Italian or your Greek or your Asian or your, Nor- I don't know. And then there was McDonald's. There was a McDonald's. It- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the food being particularly special. It was definitely not anything to write home about. No. It's like mass produced food, right? You can't really. Yeah. There was a lot of good, like things like little yogurts and little, you know, little granolas and the snack type things were, were, you know, there was a, got a lot of uh variety and you would just figure out what you liked like i i feel like i ate a lot of pasta and rice which you can't really screw that up and you know you'd figure out that okay that that place there has this thing and i'll just get that again and again and again did you have a team a team dietitian no no there was somebody wasn't there helping us at one point um, there was a dietitian at some we point. We had a massage therapist, I think. I'm mixing Chantal. up. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was. Who was Chantal? Yeah. Was she the, did she do the massage? Yeah. I don't think, she, did she? Yeah. No, I don't, I just remember her. She was like the, I guess she was this one year. She did the massage, I guess. I think so. Well, oh. in, at the Paralympics, there are, I think you can, you can go to the medical yeah, there's place like and get medical massage people. too. But she yeah. was there too. She was like the manager. That's right. And Luke was the coach. Yeah. I'm kind of mixing myself up because I was on the goalball national team too. So I'm like, we definitely had a massage therapist, but, um, what was your question? (laughs) Um, it was, it was about having a dietitian and kind of, yeah, no, no no dietitian. Sometimes the coach, I, well, I was really hard on myself at that time too, but I was like, not going to allow myself to have any dessert until until we were done our last event and there were these like Klondike bars or some kind of crazy oh, ice Magnum, cream bar. Yeah. Magnums. That's what it was. And everybody was eating them. And I was like, no, when I'm done, when I'm done, when I'm done. And there were none left by the time we were done. <gasps> I don't yeah. Um, yeah. This, cycling is a very eating disordered sport because it's 
um, your performance. I mean, body, like power to weight ratio is, is particularly important. Although, you know, there's a limit at which you are no longer healthy if you're trying to lose too much weight in an unhealthy mm -hmm. way, but it's really disordered, especially in women's cycling. It's everyone's looking at what you're eating or looking at how much extra body fat you have on. And it's, it's, it's starting to become a little bit more progressive in that it's, I think less people understand more now that it's like, that's not good for women to just drop a bunch of weight all at once. Um, but I found that there was, there was a lot of talk about fat content and how heavy you are and how much you weigh yes. and it's not healthy. And yes. so when everyone's eating together, watching each other and what you're choosing, there was, it was quite judgy. And so maybe not the most fun part of the games was the eating all together. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I had no idea because I know like usually the sports that come to mind when I think of kind of more problematic with eating are wrestling, weight training, swimming, gymnastics, dancing. But I had no idea that uh, cycling was also included in that. It's, it's very much way up there. And actually, if you look at the men's Tour de France, they, they all look like they've just returned from a prisoner of war camp. They're emaciated. It's, it's because you have to, you know, pull yourself up a hill, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's, yeah, no, it's not ideal. Yeah. Okay, this is like really cool, but can you describe that whole like drink vending machine thing again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that thing was the best. Yeah. Um, you know, interestingly, um, Coke is a major sponsor of the Paralympics and Olympic Games. And and um, we got these little Coke kind of keychains on our lanyards, on our ID badges, and you could use them and, um, at any of the Coke vending machines around the village. And they would be strategically placed like outside of Canada House, which was a cool part of the village, actually, was a place where all the Canadian athletes could go hang out together and um, or outside of our own um, dormitory style living quarters. And yeah, you could just go and get as much Coke as you wanted or Gatorade or other Coke products. But I, don't, mm -hmm. I only remember the Coke, quite honestly. Yeah, Coke has a special place in, in bicycle racing too because it's, it's quite common to have a Coke in your water bottle like on the very end towards the end of a bike race, a longer bike race, because it gives you that extra caffeine and sugar boost that makes you, keeps you um, going until the end. So oh, maybe last lap Coke. Get into, maybe I should get into cycling so I can drink more Coke. <laughs> I recommend it. <laughs> Only at the end of a very long race. It's not like a, it's not in our water bottles all the time. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's special for the racing. Yes. Yeah. But it, it's, it's um, kept my love of Coke alive. So thank you to Coke and Belle. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was brought to you by. <laughs> yeah, we have first sponsors now, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so my last question is, if you could go back and do anything differently, what would you do? Oh, well, for me, I would, I would have started cycling earlier, maybe. Um, I feel like I could have been really good, but I didn't. It was sort of my second sport. It was my second shot at the Paralympics. And it, I don't know. I just feel like I only did it competitively for four years and, and then I was kind of ready to quit, but I feel like maybe I could have meddled if I had started sooner and younger. So, yeah. I think that my training could have been more structured, but I, I don't know. I was just trying to think like, I don't really feel like I trained as hard as I really could have. 
but I did have a coach that was telling me what to do. So maybe, maybe that's just kind of like in hindsight, I think that, um, that my training was, was maybe not as good as it could be. I think maybe I probably would have wanted to ride more with Sean if, if we really wanted to have our peak performance and, um, yeah, I don't know. Otherwise, I think the stuff I talked about earlier about kind of being a better human, I think it, I think, but I don't think I could have changed that. I think I just had to come to that because mm-hmm. I had no idea. So. Yeah, I mean, you were only a university student when you started. Mm-hmm. No, I was just a, what was 2002? I was like 21. So pretty young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's I, a, yeah, it was fun. I, I don't know. I don't think I would, I don't think I would change much about it. I'm really, I think that the, the, the thing that was most pivotal was Sean really advocating for us as a team to go to that world games. I think if there's, if there's any single moment in our kind of trajectory, that was the, that was the one. Yeah. This podcast wouldn't have been able to happen if it weren't for that. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for agreeing to be on the podcast. And Sean, it was really cool to be able to learn more about this side of you. You did a great job as host. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and so great to reconnect, Lisa. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, comment, or topic request, please email limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Share at podcast, subscribe, and please join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.